In the trunk of my car, I carry a tire compressor. Each month, I'm told that the average tire loses one to two pounds of pressure. So I need to connect once every other month or so and put in the assigned tire pressure. Well, on the tire, it'll tell you what the max capacity is. Question, do Christians have a max capacity when it comes to loving one another? That's what we want to evaluate from 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12 today. A pastor regularly visited members on his bicycle. One day as he was out on his rounds, he noticed a little boy who was trying to sell a lawnmower. And the pastor asked the little fella, uh, how much money for uh, the lawnmower? And what do you want to do with the money? And the boy said simply, I, I just want enough money to buy a bicycle. The pastor pondered the situation for a bit and then said, I'll, I'll tell you what, why don't I buy your lawnmower and you can have the bike for it in exchange? The sharp young man looked at the pastor and said, you mind if I try it out first? He got on a bike, went up and down the street, and he loved the bicycle. He said, pastor, you have yourself a deal. A few moments later, the pastor went over with his new lawnmower, and he pulled on the cord, and he pulled on the cord, and he pulled on the cord, and, and nothing happened. He called the little fellow over and said, I can't get this to start. The youngster said, well, you have to cuss at it to get it to start. The pastor looked at him and said, uh, young man, he goes, I've been a Christian so long. I'm a pastor. I, I don't even know how to cuss. The little fellow looked at him and he smiled. He said, you just pull on that cord a few times and it'll all come back to you. Amazingly, after the Thessalonian saints endured severe trials, cussing didn't pass from their mouths, but brotherly love from their lives. Let me uh, toss two questions your way for consideration as you're turning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Number one, how should biblical Philadelphia or brotherly love function? And then number two, should we give up secular employment since we believe the rapture is just around the corner? All right, let me go ahead and read to you 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. Please bow your heads as I lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lives of the Thessalonian saints, that even in exchange for persecution, 
they just offered more love. Help us to understand their lives, their ministry, and the enabling power that helped them to live in such a way. And may we imitate it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. Observe the contrast here with the words, but concerning. Paul is transitioning from sexual morality to the love of the brethren. It begins a new section here, and our topic is brotherly love. We derive the English city, Philadelphia, from this term. Outside of the Greek New Testament, brotherly love is used of family and family members. But interestingly, when you come to the Greek New Testament, it is always related to fellow members in the body of Christ. And that's how the noun occurs six times from the Greek New Testament. And Paul says, you have no need that I should write to you. Uh, Let me refresh your memories here. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 3 about the love that the Thessalonians had expressed to one another and others in 1-3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. They labored with the disposition of love. And over in chapter 3, notice in verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always Have good remembrance of us. But again, what's the report? What is it that Timothy had observed in the lives of the Thessalonians when he visited them? That they were continuing to develop in their love for one another. The reason and explanation why Paul doesn't have to write is now given. Observe the word for for you yourselves, and that's emphatic there. He's, he's pointing out to the Thessalonians, it's them. You yourselves are taught by God to love one another. How are they taught by God to love one another? And the answer is through the indwelling Holy Spirit. The instant that they put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God took up residence in their lives, and he is teaching them how to love. You have to remember God is love. So whether you're speaking of the Father, you're speaking of the Son, or the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is love. Jesus is love. God is love, and he is planted within the life of every saint. Consider 1 Corinthians 2.13. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit, the one who guides us in all truth, and he is the one that floods our heart with love. So it overflows to the lives of others. 
So you're taught by God to love one another. See, you are God's student. And the construction here is that of purpose for the purpose to love one another. And it's a present tense verb to keep on loving one another. When you go way back to the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, a verse that is repeated over and over in the New Testament. Here we go. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, as you come down to verse 10, I just want to point out that the translation, I don't think is the best when you see the word here. And it's the Greek term gar, better translated for, for indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. The word for is now looking back at the statement that believers are taught by God to love one another. And now the words indeed show the evidence of this. What is the evidence? Paul writes, you do so. See, he's pointing out this is how they live. They love one another. They have a manifestation of the love of God through their lives because the Holy Spirit enables them to do so. It didn't just stay within the confines of their own congregation, but it was toward all the brethren and notice in the region of Macedonia. Now, we only know of two other churches in the region. There could have been more. The church of Philippi and the church of Berea. But think about this. The Thessalonians cared for one another. They exhibited the character of the almighty love. Not only did they care for one another in-house, so to speak, in their own church, But then it spread to these other churches, and they knew they were loved by the Thessalonian saints, by their manifestation of love through various acts of kindness, I'm sure. Paul then writes, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase. How? More and more. But we urge you in exhortation to keep on loving, but notice that it's directed toward brethren, the term of affection, literally those from the same womb through the blood of Christ, we are related. So we are not just to love someone in the body of Christ one time, sacrificially, not just twice, but we keep on loving. And this is what he says Increase more and more. And the word increase means to exceed a fixed boundary. Go over and beyond. Let's take a look at this term. Chapter 3, verse 12. And may the Lord make you, notice this, increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. And then in chapter 4 and verse 1, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ that you should abound how more and more. Here's our first point. Increase 
loving one another as God teaches you. Let me say that again. Increase loving one another as God teaches you. John chapter 13. Jesus just washed the disciples' feet. And he has some, if you will, parting words because he's going to die shortly. And in John chapter 13, come over with me to verse 34, and then we'll see 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. See, Jesus, at the beginning of this chapter, is quoted as saying that he loved those who were with him to the uttermost. In other words, he gave them everything he had. He loved them completely. So now he says, as I have loved you, this is what you need to do to one another, that you also love, and I love the words, one another. See, in the world, they were going to have tribulation, persecution. So we're going to get beat up in this world system that is hostile to Christ and to Christians. So we need to draw and derive strength from one another in a Christian community to what? Love one another. Verse 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. You are my learners. If you have love for one another. Paul gives the command in Ephesians 5, 2, and let me just read that to you, and walk in love as Christ has also loved us. Walk in love. So number one, increase loving one another as God teaches you. Number two, live quietly, privately, and work Diligently to lack nothing, maintaining a good witness. Perhaps since the apostle had instructed these saints about the imminent return of Christ, that Jesus could come back at any moment, they said, hey, let's stop working vocationally, secularly. Let us just be about the work of the Lord. Perhaps that's why this exhortation is given. And then as we get to 2 Thessalonians, particularly in chapter 3, we're going to learn more that Paul has to clamp down on these believers because some were still not working. Verse 11, that you aspire to lead a quiet life. The verb aspire only appears three times from the Greek New Testament. First of all, in Romans 15, 20, and this term means to love, honor, basically to honor God. In Romans 15, 20, what was Paul's aspiration? What was his ambition? What was his goal? To preach Christ where he had not been preached it's a great goal second of all in second corinthians chapter five paul makes it his aim to be always pleasing to the lord here the saints are exhorted 
to lead what kind of life? A quiet life. The word here, quiet, means to be quiet or to rest from work. First time it appears is over in Luke chapter 14 in verse 4. Jesus is at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. There is a man in the home with dropsy, excess water in the body. So you have bloating. It is though the Sabbath day and everyone is watching to see what Jesus would do. And he corrects them, but they, what they kept silent because Jesus asked, is it right to do something good on the Sabbath or not? Then over in Luke chapter 23 and verse 56, after Jesus had been crucified, speaking to ladies, and they rested on the Sabbath. And they make that journey first thing on Sunday morning to the tomb. So the aspiration should be to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. To give you a taste of what's coming in our future study in Second Thessalonians, Lord willing, come over to chapter 3, verse 11. 311. For we hear, that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are what? Busy bodies. Yeah, they're busy, but in the affairs of others. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Focus upon your own matters and not... The matters of every one else. Come back with me. First Thessalonians four. Not only are they to mind their own business, but to work with their own hands. This was repulsive to the average Greek. Greek thinking was that manual labor was just for slaves. The Apostle Paul was the one who worked day and night to provide for his own needs so he didn't have to charge the saints to care for him. Work is good. God punched a time clock, did he not, for six days? And then he rested on the seventh. He put Adam in the Garden of Eden before the fall to what? To tend it, to work. Work is good. Ephesians 4.28, Paul says, let him who stole Steal no more, but rather let him labor with his hands that he may have to give to him who has need. It's good to work, to provide for your own needs, that of your family, to regularly be able to give to the work of the Lord. Because when people don't earn money, how do they have treasures in heaven through their giving? And then also to be able to work to help care for those who are incapacitated, who perhaps for some reason or another cannot work. We work with our own hands in this way. And Paul says, as we commanded you. That word command, guess where it keeps coming up at? Second Thessalonians. So let's go back there for just a moment. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse four. 
And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Got to remember, when Paul is writing, it is as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He carries the authority of Christ. So a commandment from Paul to the saints is truly a commandment from the Lord to the saints. Stand with me in 2 Thessalonians 3, now verse 6. Tracking the word command. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly out of step and not according to the tradition, those things that which are, have been handed down from us. Now, verse 10, still in Second Thessalonians 3. For even when we were with you, we commanded you, there's our term, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. It doesn't say if he cannot work, but if he will not work. And then finally, verse 12. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Come back with me to First Thessalonians. Let's begin to wrap this up down in verse 12. And there are two reasons now given in verse 12 why saints should provide for themselves. In other words, why they should work in order to care for their own needs and the needs of their family. Verse 12, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside. The saints, we were told back in chapter 2 and verse 12, are to walk, see, live worthy of God. So our first purpose that is given, why we should work and provide for our own needs, is that we might have a good testimony to the unsaved. The moment you name the name of Christ, others know that you are identifying with our Lord Jesus Christ. They begin to watch. What is your work ethic like? I'll tell you a concept that'll change your mindset when it comes to your secular employment. Work as unto the Lord. Doesn't matter if you're washing dishes for a living, serving tables, dealing with finance, accounting, management, business. It it, it doesn't matter. Because when your mindset is to work as unto the Lord, then there's a purpose. Then there is an offering even in your secular employment. Of course, it is to meet the needs of your family, to be able to, as Paul commands the churches, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, that on the first day of the week that they bring their offering. Yes, because the first part and the best part always belongs to God. 
But when you do these things as to the Lord, it is so much better than just envisioning yourself going to work, doing it for the boss, doing it for promotion's sake, doing it for whatever motivation you come up with. I cannot think of a better source of encouragement than doing these things as to the Lord. And we are encouraged in the scripture, do all things hardly to the Lord and not to men. That'll change your mindset permanently at work. When you are working as to the Lord and people are observing your lives, you become like a Daniel. Do you recall in Daniel chapter 6? Those in upper management, if you will, were jealous of Daniel. So they watched him on his job and they could not come up with any accusation against him. (laughs) Why? Because he worked as unto the Lord. May I encourage you to do the same. Now, the second purpose is given. And that you may lack nothing. (laughs) That you may lack nothing. See, that's the second purpose here. That as you labor, you get an income. It provides for your needs. It cares for your family. And by the way, we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, That if you don't provide for your own family, you are worse than an unbeliever, an infidel. So not only are you a good example to the unsaved because you work diligently as to the Lord, but then also that you have your needs provided for. That's why. This is why. We labor as to the Lord. So what have we learned? Our first point, increase loving one another as God teaches you. We are so privileged, child of God, to know the Lord. By grace, he has saved our souls. We didn't earn it. Salvation is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But yet, we are to lay up treasures in heaven. We are to labor as to the Lord in a labor of love like these same saints are cited to have from chapter 1 and verse 3. And when we do so, then we are blessed with future reward that we will carry with us into the millennial kingdom and then into eternity. Doesn't it make sense that as you walk with God and the spirit of God is flooding your heart with love and you continue to serve one another because it's just the right thing to do. It's what Jesus had instructed his disciples and us to do. That we increase in our love. It'd be a great time to take inventory. 
to sit down and ask yourself personally over the last week, how has, how has my love increased? Over the last month, what specific acts have I done to serve the body of Christ and to carry the love of God even outside of the body of Christ? Throughout the New Testament, particularly in the writings of Paul, he keeps saying, do not be deceived. And I want to encourage you. Don't think just because you did something six months ago or six years ago, that's sufficient in the Christian life. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10, we're told that God is not unjust to forget the labor of love that we have. That in the past we've ministered to the saints, but we continue to minister. Let's make sure we are individuals who are increasing, overflowing, going beyond the set boundaries to minister to one another. And our second point. Live quietly, privately, and work diligently to what? Lack nothing while maintaining a good witness. Have a good work ethic. Help the unsaved world to see that you work as to the Lord, that as they scrutinize your life, they have nothing bad to say about you. Work diligently, not only to care for your own needs, that of your family, but then you might be able to give to the individual that has needs. Let him who stole, see his replacement, steal no more, but rather labor with his hands that he may give to him who has need. Let's put these two concepts into practice. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. You continually love us. You flood our hearts with the love of God through the Holy Spirit who lives within. Help us now to be channels, conduits of your love to others. And then I pray that we'd have the focus to thank you each and every day for our employment. The privilege to have a good work ethic to do all things as unto you, that the unsaved would see that we have motivation that comes from our Lord and then also to care for our families, to have extra to care for our church family, and then also, Lord, to reach out to the unsaved. Help us, Lord, not to be deceived but to evaluate our lives, making sure that we are implementing these things we've learned today. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.